if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to, uh, we're going to go today to John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be in another text for a few minutes, and then we'll be jumping into this text in just a bit. Um, but, you know, in the summertime, I try to, as far as my pattern goes, my preaching pattern, is summer, I, I oftentimes focus on theological issues, and, and we kind of deal with some heavy stuff in regards to theology. And then, of course, in the fall, then I kind of shift in a different direction, and that's what we're doing now. And uh, our, our heart is just, you know, it's just extending out into our community. And, and I can sense that. I can see that's happening in you and your life. And it's happening in my heart. And I just have such a burden for San Diego, California. And so I, I just invite you to just join me as we pray that God will help us as a church really think about our missional footprint. I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about a lot of stuff and a lot of money trying to make things happen. But, you know, the question is, what is our missional footprint in San Diego, California, really like? I mean, how, what, what kind of impact are we having? If, if we stopped existing as a church, would anybody notice? I mean, would San Diego, California notice if we stopped existing as a church? And, and so thinking about that missional impact, that missional footprint, I, I believe is a good place for us to start as we begin this fall. Um, how many remember James Holmes? How many remember James Holmes? In fact, it was July 20th, uh, 2012, this incident took place. Shortly after midnight, a crowd gathered at a theater to watch Dark Knight Rises. When the movie began, a man entered from a side door, the article says, and began, to make, began an assault on the crowd. At first, they thought he was part of the show that night. He was dressed as the Joker. But soon they realized that this was a living nightmare. Bullets began to spray all over the theater. After the mayhem stopped, 12 people were dead and four times that were wounded. After James Holmes was apprehended, the police began to interview family, friends, and people knew him. And then they ran into one of his professors as they're doing these interviews. They ran into one of his professors at the University of Colorado in Denver. They asked him if, if he knew James. He said that he barely knew him, but what he remembered most was that he was unnoticeable. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, the idea of, of a person, I mean, this concept that somebody is, is unnoticeable. In fact, maybe you felt that way before in your life. Maybe it was when you were in high school, or maybe at some time in your life you felt like you're just this person that people just walk by, and they never make eye contact, and you're just kind of one of those unnoticeables. Or maybe it's somebody that you know. Or somebody that maybe you're even thinking of right now. Or maybe it's somebody that's along the side of the road there and they're on the road. Or maybe they're standing on the street corner holding a, a piece of cardboard. And people are driving by them day after day after day. And they are just this unnoticeable person. And it's interesting, as I look at the pattern of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and I kind of process who Jesus is, I cannot help but think that, that what I want to lift up out to you today is that Jesus came to reach the unnoticeable. And whether it's profound or simply loving, it is the reality that in the life of Christ, he shows us this pattern that we're to follow. He shows us what does it mean if we're to be a missional church and we're to make a missional impact on this city. Then we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to really live like Jesus Christ? I, I know as we look at Matthew chapter 9 and another text in verse 35, this is not our primary text, but I go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to kind of begin my thinking here. 
And there we read where Jesus went through all cities and villages and teaching in synagogues. So notice there's time spent in several different types of locations. And then it says that he preaches the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And I'm thinking in my mind, teenagers, where was it that he was encountering people who had disease and affliction? I mean, what part of the city was it? And maybe in that century, I mean, the whole city had disease and affliction in it. Or, 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 but I, I bet it's so much like our city today that there are places, there are locations in which you will encounter people that are in the margins. You will encounter people that have sickness. You'll find people that are destitute. And there's no question in our heart that Jesus, he made himself there present in those types of places And then we continue to read the passage. He says, seeing the crowds of people who were harassed and helpless. Again, where was that at? They were harassed and helpless and he had compassion for them. In fact, the Greek word that we read there about compassion, it is kind of a wrenching passion. It is a kind of compassion that's visceral. It is a a compassion that is inside of you. It is a gut wrenching type of compassion where you're looking and you're physically moved. You are emotionally moved on the inside. I mean, it is wrenching your gut because you're concerned about those that are hurting and those that are destitute and those that are lost and those Those that have no hope, people without direction, people that are sick, people that are poor, people that are rich. Because, you know, you can have a million dollars in the bank and still be destitute. You can be emotionally destitute. You can be spiritually destitute. You can have what you think, you know, life is in order and everything is in a line, but you find yourself, you're absolutely lost. And it's interesting that Jesus makes his way. He finds his way. Into those places where he's able to minister those people that are unnoticeable. In Matthew 9.35, if we look at the text and we take the text serious, it gives us some direction as Christians. I mean, how are we to respond? How are we to live our life as Christians? And in fact, we have some, some direction to follow. I want to share a few with you. One, that we are to spend time with religious people building relationships, or I should say, building relationships. I mean, how can we really understand where people are coming from if we've not spent time in building relationships? Like I mentioned last Sunday when I talked about the five major religions in the world and the fact that each one asks a different question, they give a different answer. You see, part of that is understanding, you know, where they're coming from so that we have this opportunity to build a relationship. And then in relationship, we can minister and maybe have permission to share our story. And so Jesus, he spends times there in the synagogues. That's what the passage says in Matthew chapter nine and verse thirty five. And then and then the next thing, it's interesting because it just immediately turns, you know, makes this turn, this corner. And and he spends and he has compassion on those who are lost. I mean, if Jesus did anything, and if we were to measure his life and give him a report card, if there's one thing that Jesus was concerned about, is that Jesus was concerned about the lost. What did he say? I did not come to, you know, seek the righteous, but the lost. So Jesus came to reach those who are lost. And if we're following Jesus and we're following his pattern and we're saying, okay, I want to be like Jesus, then then we are going to be concerned about the loss. You know, we're having a friend day in a week, and and, uh, and this is just not a cheap advertisement. I'm telling you, we're having this day that we're opening our church, not because, okay, let's have a special day. It's because we believe that Jesus Christ changes lives. 
that Jesus Christ can transform a life and that people that do not know Christ, they're going to have some questions in life. And the big answer, you know, is not going to be or the big question, excuse me, is not going to be answered until they meet Jesus Christ. Amen. And so he shows us that he has compassion for those who are lost. What's the third thing? Um, He ministers to the poor. There's no question. I mean, all of Jesus' life shows us that he ministers to the poor. He's concerned about the poor and we're called to minister to the poor. We talk about seek, serve and save our, or, you know, seek, serve and reach our mission statement. Just three words, seek, serve and reach. And we say we're about seeking and that means discipleship and we're about serving. Well, see, this is the serve part of the mission statement that we're willing to serve the poor and we're to minister to the poor and we're to be concerned about the poor. I don't mean just in conversation. It is more than just a a poster that's in the foyer. It means that we are doing something to make a difference in the lives of people that are poor. Amen. I'm excited about our mission communities because I, I know that Pastor Vic has challenged our mission communities to engage in some kind of service project during this session of our, our small group Bible studies. And, and I'm beginning to get reports and I'm hearing these, these testimonies of how people, our own people, you are engaging our community and you're serving our community. And I want to commend you for that. Thank you for doing that. Amen. Why? Because we're serious about being like Jesus and Jesus ministered to the poor. Here's number four. We are, if we're to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, we're to labor in harvesting those open to the gospel. That means sharing Christ as the laborers are few. And by the way, we need to get past this idea that it's about our personality. It is not a personality thing. It is about obedience because the laborers are few. The harvest is ripe and God is calling us to be laborers in the harvest and share the gospel with people that are willing to hear the gospel. Now, I understand some people are not you know, open to it. And I understand there's a timing thing and there's a right time and there's a wrong time. But if we're to be like Jesus, we will labor in harvesting those that are open to the gospel and will share Jesus Christ. And here's the last thing. Pray earnestly for God to send his laborers into the harvest. And so join me as I am praying about our missional footprint and how we are impacting San Diego for God's glory and, and, and what kind of missional footprint that we are leaving behind us. Amen. As we are being obedient, you know, to the Lord. So pray earnestly for that. Join me in that as we move forward. But, you know, as I think of all of this, and we've talked quite a bit of, quite uh, about quite a bit here, but I think, you know, when I think about Jesus, He had a heart for the unnoticeable. I mean, think about the woman at the well. And uh, and we look at John chapter four, beginning around verse four through forty two. We're not going to read that. It's a very large text. But remember, at this place, Jesus and his disciples had been on a journey. They'd been traveling for a while and they'd become weary. What the scripture says, they'd become weary. And so Jesus comes to Jacob's field where there's a well, Jacob's well. And so Jesus sits there by the well or either on the well or by the well to get some rest. Do you remember that? So he sits there by the well. And and they are in the land of Samaria. In fact, they are near the city called Sychar. And so as Jesus sits down, the disciples, they kind of go on to go into the town there to get some supplies or something. We're not sure what they're doing, but they go to town. And while Jesus is sitting there at the well, what happens? The Samaritan woman comes by and he engages her in conversation. Now, I need to say this. You cannot get people that are more polar opposites than are the other end of the spectrum than a male Jewish rabbi and a Samaritan woman. 
<laughs> because they did not associate to each other. They did not relate to each other at all. And so you can imagine as we read the passage, how surprised the disciples were when they come back and they notice that Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. They were surprised, the scripture says. I would like to add that there was probably surprise on their face because, I mean, they didn't say it, but they're thinking, what are you doing talking to this woman? And so, you know, that's what happens. He, he talks to this woman and, and he begins to talk about this living water. And her life is is beginning to be impacted. And that's something. I mean, if anybody were in the margins, it would be the Samaritan woman. She had had a rough life. The scripture tells us that she had had five relationships and was in uh, a sixth relationship. And Jesus kind of addresses that. I mean, if anybody were to be, you know, that kind of person that was probably unnoticeable and maybe maybe even shunned a little bit, it would be this Samaritan woman by the people in her town. But Jesus, in spite of all that, Jesus shares the, the message of who he is. And he shares this living water and it absolutely transforms her life. I love this story. Because in the story, we learn something about Jesus and what Jesus is wanting from us. And in fact, I I want to share with you two ideas here. The first thing that he shows us, that Jesus teaches us about this woman that he justifiably could have just walked on by, you know, unnoticeable by all accounts. Jesus shows us that people believe when true love for others is evident. People believe when true others, you know, true love for others is evident and You know, I imagine Jesus connecting with this woman at the well, and I imagine that the first way that he connected is he probably made eyeball contact, you know, eyeball to eyeball type of contact. I imagine that he began to relate to her and he looked at her in her eyes and he began to share this Christian agape love, the kind of love that she was probably not getting from her multiple partners. He, he was sharing a love that, that only Christ could provide, that only God can provide because we have this God-shaped hole Inside of us, and you've heard that before, but I really believe that. I believe that there is something missing on the inside, and there's only one way that emptiness can be filled. It's filled through Jesus Christ. And we look at this, this text, and we see that Jesus begins to minister to this woman. He reaches out to her. He makes eye contact. I can imagine the scenario unfolding, and then he begins to talk with her in love. And in love, he shares with her the truth, and she begins to... You know, she begins to respond and I can just imagine a sparkle in her eye because she's hearing the truth. You know the truth when you hear the truth, don't you? I mean, when you know when somebody is really speaking the truth, you know that you can feel it. And he's speaking his love in truth and she begins to respond. Her life begins to be transformed. And and so what happens, we see in the text that she goes back to the town. And I absolutely love this part because if she was one that would have been in the margins, the one that. Maybe it would be the unnoticeable that people just pass by. I can imagine the town people saying, well, why? I mean, if this is the Messiah, why would the Messiah choose to speak to her first? I mean, why wouldn't he use me? Why, why wouldn't you know, he speak to me first? And, of course, what happens, he doesn't do that. He speaks to this, this, this precious lady here. And then he shows us the second thing, and here it is. People share their belief. People share their belief when their lives are transformed. We look at verse 39 and and what happens is they began to believe. Why? Because of her testimony. Because of her testimony. It's interesting as I was reading that about this week with Kavanaugh and the testimonies and do you believe and do you believe and all. I mean, it was just so current. 
The people believed because of her testimony. And when that happened, it means that there is this transformation of life that had happened to this woman that probably had no focus and no direction and no purpose. And meeting Jesus Christ gave her purpose and direction in life in such a profound way that they realized that there was something real here. And it's Jesus Christ. Amen. And in that transformed life, they began to believe and they came out and they wanted to meet this Messiah. They wanted to meet the Savior and they wanted the living water that Jesus was offering them. And, 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 and that town was forever changed. Amen. I'll never forget my first assignment. Heidi and I, we were kids when we became pastors. I, I went to Greenville, Texas. I was called the pastor church there. Greenville First Church of the Nazarene. I was only 26 years old, teens. I was only 26 years of age. I was lead pastor. My wife, we had, she was 19. And we were just so young. No, she wasn't 19. She was, what was she? 26, 21. So she was 21 years old. I was 26. And we're pastoring this gigantic church of 10 people. And uh, it was so small that I preached, you know, my first Sunday. At least I preached my first Sunday, you know, to the 10. And then I had to meet with the board so they could vote on me. So the 10 people just stayed sitting where they were at. You know, they were the board, too. Uh, they were bored, but they were also the church board. But anyway, uh, so so I'll never forget the church as we began to do ministry. And we were in a town that was called Greenville, Texas. In fact, the poverty level was 64 percent. Imagine that 64 percent of the people live below the poverty line. And so we began to just reach out and we were looking for ministry where ministry needed to happen. And we were reaching out to all these poor people and bringing these poor people. In fact, I was laughing because Heidi and I was reminiscing. And, and I remembered we had a Honda Civic. Get this. We had a Honda Civic. This is before the seatbelt laws. This is before the, you know, the car seat laws and all that, we would bring as many as 11 kids to church in our Honda Civic. I mean, we had them stacked up like dominoes in the back seat, literally. And uh, they loved it. I mean, we had a blast. You know, of course, the wheels were, you know, grinding on the wheel wells. But anyways, but we had all kinds of fun. I'll never forget in that ministry, during that time, this gal named Dina. Dina was kind of a wallflower, and, and I could tell things were happening in her life. I wasn't sure until one day I went to pick her up, or we went to pick her up, and I heard the screaming and the hollering. They lived downtown in a room. It wasn't really an apartment. It was a room, and they were living there because it was so cheap to rent, like 150 bucks. And they were up there, you know, this staircase between these two front stores on downtown Main Street. And, and, and I heard this banging and screaming. I went up there, and they were fighting her husband was an alcoholic, and she had a black eye, and her face was red. She was abused. She'd come to church and sit in the back, and she was just this, this wallflower. She, she just really didn't want to really be seen or a part of anything. And, and the Lord led me in my very simple, clumsy way to, to ask her to help in ministry. And what I did is I I'd collected all the birthdays. The church was now growing and I'd collected all the birthdays of the people coming. And I wanted to send everybody in the church a birthday card. And so I said, Dina, would you do me a favor? Here's three boxes of cards. You're my birthday card minister or minister of birthday cards. I can't remember what I called it, but she says, okay. And she took the cards and she'd fill out the cards and she'd bring them to me and I'd sign the cards and we'd mail them off. And, and folks, when I asked her to be the minister of birthday cards, she acted as if I had ordained her to be a pastor. All of a sudden, she wasn't sitting in the back. She's sitting towards the front now. And now she's walking around with this pride that she was part of the ministry team. You know, one thing I didn't say to you about her 
She was an unnoticeable. Wasn't a noticeable. She, she was somebody that, that people would probably have just walked by and ignored. And I'm not sure she didn't spend some time on the street with a cardboard sign. But God began to transform her life. God noticed her. Not, not this pastor. God noticed her. And all of a sudden, she began to bloom and blossom because there was value in that life. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us as a church to be united and to be the church that he's called us to be and act like the church and be Jesus, to be Jesus to our community. And I don't know what that means even as I'm talking and maybe the Lord is putting faces in your mind and maybe you're thinking of the neighbor down the street that you haven't spoke to for a year or maybe you're thinking about somebody that's on your street and they're outside and you always see them by the curb there. I don't know who you're thinking about, but God... He wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to help you notice the unnoticeable and see a life transformed because you're willing to be used by God. Maybe you're that wallflower. Oh, God can't use me. Maybe you need to be the minister of birthday cards because God, he can use you. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you. He wants to do ministry through you as we reach out to the unnoticeables. You know, I'm just thinking as we're moving into this next weekend, what God might do, what God might do through you, let's be open. Let's have eyes that are watching, hearts that are willing, and let's reach out to those that need to feel Jesus and experience Jesus. Let's pray together. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you, Father, that you are calling us to to not miss the unnoticeables among us, around us, by our home, at our school. Father in heaven, I pray that you would just help us to just reach out to those that, Father, maybe perhaps you're putting them in our life for a reason until we see them. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just speak to that, that one heart. I pray that you'd speak to that young person or that, that boy or that young girl right now that is just feeling, Lord, your spirit just tugging at their heartstring. And that, Father, that we can be what you've called us to be. I, I pray, Father, for that Sunday school class or that, that mission community that we, Lord, might be willing to reach out to our community and to be Jesus. Help us to be the church, God. Help us not miss it in all the times that we meet and all the ways that we organize and all the effort that we put out. I ask, Father, help us not miss it, that we can be Jesus, that we can reach out to those around us, that we can love people as you would love them, that we'd accept them as you would accept them. And that, Father, with their permission, we could maybe share with them our story, how you transformed how you changed our life because you do that. So Jesus, we just worship you today. We thank you for just speaking to our hearts. Be here amongst us, Father. We honor you, God. We believe in you. Thank you, Jesus, for noticing me because I believe I was one of those that noticed me. Thank you for noticing me, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. In Christ's name.
that you'll have that person on your heart and your mind. You'll be thanking Jesus for what he's done for you. But you'll also be praying for that one individual that will be a miracle if God reaches him. You know what? I'm saying that to you. I'm excited in here when I say that to you. You know why I'm excited in here? Because I've seen it so many times. God wants to reach others through you. The enemy wants to discourage you and make you think you can't do it. But God wants to use you. He wants to minister through you. He wants to work through you. I believe that. And I know the enemy would hate for us to believe it ourselves. God wants to use you.